0: This week, Malencrot wins approval of pay expenses to unsecured creditor groups. REART survey finds investors expect restructuring activity in brick and mortar retailers, restaurants, leisure, commercial real estate, hospitality, industrials, oil and gas. And as always, updates from Puerto Rico.
1: Hello, and welcome to the REART podcast, where we bring you the latest developments in high yield, distressed debt, and bankruptcy. I'm Mark Fisher. Later, the first day, by REARC team, Jessica Steinhagen and Ian Howland sit down with Carol Lung to review bankruptcy filings in 2020. It's Sunday, January 24th. Malencrott Judge John Dorsey issued a bench ruling granting the debtors renewed motion to pay the expenses of unsecured creditors groups supporting the debtors' prepetition restructuring support agreement. The judge found that the debtors exercised reasonable business judgment in seeking to assume reimbursement agreements with the group's professionals, overruling objections from the ad hoc first lien lender group, U.S. trustee, and private ACTHAR antitrust plaintiffs. In granting the motion, the judge cited the unusual circumstances of the case and the public health crisis arising from the opioid epidemic. Judge Dorsey requested one substantive modification to the debtor's proposed order granting the motion. The RSA group's expenses related to allocation of the $1.6 billion opioid settlement among different claimants groups would not be paid until the RSA itself is assumed or a plan is confirmed. The parties have indicated that they intend to mediate the allocation issue. Judge Dorsey denied the debtor's first request to pay the RSA expenses on December 14th without prejudice. The judge on January 14th took Malenkrot's second motion under advisement after hearing oral arguments. At the January 14th hearing, the debtors insisted that payment of the expenses of governmental Opioid claimants groups and the ad hoc noteholder group from the estate is crucial to the excess of their Chapter 11 case and suggested that opioid groups may terminate the RSA and walk away from the settlement if their expenses are not paid as requested, sending the debtors, quote, back to square one in a free fall bankruptcy case. The first lien group maintained that the debtors should seek to assume the RSA itself prior to paying the unsecured group's fees and asserted that the RSA groups would not walk away from the settlement if obligated to pay their own expenses. The Firstling Group, the U.S. trustee, and Akhtar plaintiffs also argued that the lenient business judgment standard did not apply to the debtor's request.
0: As noted at the beginning of the podcast, stay tuned for our review of 2020 cases, but REORG also this week conducted a survey of subscribers related to expectations for 2021. Investor sources noted challenges in finding attractive opportunities after the rally in sub-investment-grade asset prices that began in late March 2020 and gathered pace with Pfizer's vaccine launch. For many distressed debt investors, the fleeting period of adjustments in debt prices in the spring proved too short. It's like you're planning for a party, and right before the guests arrive, the caterer calls and says, I can't bring any food or any booze, and the party is off, according to Colin Adams, a senior managing director at M3 Partners. The threshold for what qualifies as stressed has moved ever higher price-wise, with many respondents to the re survey suggesting that a price of $0.90 cents on the dollar or below now qualifies. The Fed-backed liquidity-driven surge has destroyed price discovery, meaning relative value has become increasingly important, the sources noted. One portfolio manager said he has never seen leverage so high and investors so unconcerned, adding that he unloaded a lot of lower-quality credits during the rebound. A correction of 30% to 40% from current levels would not be unsurprising, sources said brick and mortar retailers, restaurants, leisure, commercial real estate, hospitality, industrials and oil and gas will see the most restructurings. In the long run permanent changes of behavior may hit a number of industries including travel, leisure and real estate according to Jeff Bjork, global vice chair of the restructuring group at Latham and Watkins. More non-pro-rata priming transactions are also expected until a court rules against them, according to Bruce Bennett, global leader of restructuring group at Jones Day, who sees the possibility of more involuntary Chapter 11 filings as a defensive measure due to so-called creditor-on-creditor violence. In the meantime, cooperation agreements have become the norm because of the proliferation of investors in distressed deal negotiations, according to Andrew Rosenberg, co-chair of the restructuring group at Paul Weiss. Organizing early and putting it in writing is probably the best way to protect yourself, he said.
1: On the island of Puerto Rico, the Promesa Oversight Board said this week it is aiming to certify an updated Commonwealth fiscal plan in late April that reflects a proposed Commonwealth plan of adjustment. According to a January 19th letter from Executive Director Natalie Jures, to Governor Pedro Perlusi and legislative leaders that establishes the timeline for the annual revision process, the fiscal plan update, quote, is being initiated to incorporate new information available regarding Puerto Rico's macroeconomic environment and government revenues slash expenditures to better inform the fiscal year 2022 budget development and to incorporate the impact of the proposed plan of adjustment expenses. During a press conference on Monday, January 18th, La Fortaleza chief of staff Noelia Garcia said Perlucis' proposed fiscal 2022 general fund budget consisting of commonwealth funds is expected to be above the current 10.04 billion general fund budget. She outlined priorities such as maintaining or increasing the Commonwealth subsidy to island municipalities, funding a new job classification and uniform remuneration system for government workers, and investing in the digitization of government operations. The Commonwealth faced the January 29th deadline to submit its budget proposal to the Permesa Oversight Board.
0: Top Red Stories this week included... Cineworld declines to pay additional 1% LIBOR, EURIBOR floor interest added as part of superiority DDTL negotiation in loan documentation dispute with term lenders. Extraction emerges from Chapter 11 with $11 million cash balance, $236.7 million of liquidity, and new RBL facility with $500 million of initial borrowing base. South Dakota Trial Court dismisses public nuisance claims against Purdue, providing ammunition for opioid defendants fighting trillions of dollars in government abatement claims. Next, here's Jim from Houston with The Week Ahead.
2: Well, thank you, Rockshire. Good morning, all. It's a damp, gray morning here in the Deep South. Reminds me a bit of being in England, the land of my distant fathers. You almost expect to see Heathcliff or test the herbalays coming out of the Shipley's Donuts. Anyhow, Monday, January 25th, confirmation hearing for the Weinstein, Weinstein Company. Tuesday, January 26th, another confirmation hearing. This one for Highland Capital, along with a preliminary injunction hearing for the latter. Wednesday, January 27th, we have earnings from Tesla. Elon Musk, of course, the world's richest man and who is moving, I understand, Austin, which is a city in Texas, as opposed to being a Texas city. There's also earnings from American Airlines, which is headquartered in Dallas, also a city in Texas. Thursday, January 28th, earnings more again from cnx and resources and u.s steel and friday january 29th what a better way to end the week than confirmation hearings in global eagle entertainment npc international and sable permian and that is it back to y'all in new york
1: and next up here's karen jessica and ian on a review of 2020
3: Today, the team at First Day by Reorg, Jessica Steinhagen and Ian Howland join us to talk about Chapter 11 filing activity in 2020, an unprecedented year. First Day by Reorg monitors Chapter 11 filings across the country with more than $10 million in liabilities. Jessica and Ian also track trends in filings through the First Day database. This week, they published their annual year-in-review story, which gives readers a bird's-eye view of the volume and characteristics of Chapter 11 filings in 2020. The report also delves into a sector-by-sector analysis of the last year's Chapter 11 debtors. Ian, let's turn it over to you first. Could you tell us about what you saw during 2020 in broad strokes in terms of the number of Chapter 11 cases and the types of companies that filed?
4: Absolutely. With the pandemic looming, 2020 started off with higher than average Chapter 11 filing frequency during the first three months at roughly 37 cases per month. For context, from 2016 to 2019, the monthly average is around 30 cases. Signs of the pandemic's impact on the economy began servicing in cases toward the end of the month, just as some of the shelter-in-place orders were enacted in certain parts of the country. By April and May, The signs were abundant and widespread, with storefronts, corporate offices, supply chains, and travel disrupted, pushing the Chapter 11 filing frequency above 40 cases for both months. Things really picked up in June and July as shutdowns persisted under a shadow of uncertainty with respect to the pandemic's timeline. June and July are the second and first busiest months for Chapter 11 filings in first-day history at 52 and 55 cases, respectively, driven largely by the energy and consumer discretionary sectors, which alone made up 31 Chapter 11s in the month of July, just five cases fewer than July 2019 recorded across all sectors. In total, there were 477 cases last year, up close to 20% from 2019, which was formerly the busiest year for Chapter 11s in the first day database, and up 44% from 2018. Some of the biggest trends we saw were oil and gas filings, especially by um, energy and production companies and equipment and service providers with large capital structures. All forms of brick and mortar operators from retail chains and restaurants to fitness centers and other leisure facilities and travel related businesses, including rental car companies and airlines. Early on during the pandemic, retailers such as True Religion and hair salon chain operators such as Creative Hairdressers sought to mothball their operations in hopes of rebounding once the pandemic subsides. At large, retail chains filed to shed large chunks of their store portfolios to emerge from the pandemic as leaner enterprises. As filings tapered off in the fall and late winter months of 2020, real estate filings picked up, with the fourth quarter of 2020 um, increasing by filing for free- increasing in filing frequency by 40% from the fourth quarter of 2019.
3: So an extremely busy year for the first day team. From a high level, what was the composition of these cases with respect to liabilities?
4: That's an excellent question, Karen. When or While filings across all first day liability ranges, um, and for the record, that's uh, anything over $10 million in liabilities, we're up 19% year over year from 2019. Cases with higher debt amounts increased more dramatically, with cases above 100 million in liabilities increasing 58% year over year, and cases above 1 billion in liabilities skyrocketing to an increase of 111%. Consumer discretionary and energy filings made up 27% and 26% of Chapter 11 filings with more than 100 million in debt, respectively, and 24% and 37% of cases with more than 1 billion in debt. The largest case with respect to debt was Hertz, which reported 24.4 billion in liabilities, followed by Frontier Communications with 21.9 billion, um, LATAM with 18 billion, Intelsat with 16.8 billion, Asina Retail Group with 12.5 billion, and Chesapeake Energy with 11.8 billion. Of the year's 30 cases with respect to debt, 12 were energy cases, five were retail, four were transportation, and three were communication services. Retail chains in 2020 totaled more than eight times the amount of liabilities involved in retail chain cases in 2019, from $4.8 billion across 20 cases in 2019 to $39 billion across 30 cases in 2020. Oil and gas cases in 2020 totaled more than $82 billion in aggregate debt in connection with 74 Chapter 11 filings, more than three times the amount of debt than in 2019, which totaled $25 billion in connection with 47 Energy Chapter 11 filings. The year also included first days, two first real estate chapter elevens with more than one billion in debt. Pennsylvania Real Estate Investment Trust and CBL and Associates, each of which owns a large portfolio of shopping malls.
3: And how did gyms and fitness centers fare this year? It seems like they would have been badly hurt by the pandemic shutdown orders. Is that right? That's exactly
5: right, Karen. To that point, there were at least six fitness center chains that filed because of the pandemic, with big names like 24 Hour Fitness, Gold's Gym, and Town Sports, and then smaller names like UFit and YogaWorks. Did you find the same with movie theaters? Absolutely. The shutdown orders led to the bankruptcies of Dine & Movie Chain, Cinemax, and Studio Movie Grill. Cinemax runs the CMX cinemas chain, which was struggling even before the shutdown because of high fixed costs owed to landlords and also to film studios. VIP Cinemas, another dine-in movie chain, also filed before the pandemic, blaming movie viewing alternatives, which will only get worse as people adapt
3: to find other ways to watch movies other than in the theaters. Ian, you also said in the annual review that there was a drop-off in supermarket cases. Can you say more about that?
4: Well, we noticed that leisure facility operations operators like Jim's made up about the same portion of 2020's brick-and-mortar Chapter 11's as supermarket chains. This surprised us until we looked a bit deeper, and the bulk of the grocer filings came in before the pandemic had really set in. Before the pandemic hit, there were a few filings by specialty grocers. Uh, These were from Fairway, Lucky's Market, Earth Fair, and Dean and DeLuca. They mostly cited competition and overexpansion for the reasons why they filed. The lone grocer to file after the pandemic was Balducci's And King Supermarkets. Um, Valducci said that its liquidity improved during the pandemic, which was likely the case for most all supermarkets during this time. But Valducci said it needed a more permanent solution as it was facing what it said was a rapidly intensifying competition from well-capitalized online retail grocery giants, local online grocers, and meal kit companies.
3: And how did these supermarket cases work out?
5: Well, almost all of them sold their assets, with some to the same buyers, such as Amazon, Whole Foods, and Aldi, picking up supermarkets from various of the debtors. Balducci's had a very successful sale to Acme Supermarkets, which is a division of Albertsons, for $96 million, which was about a 30% increase over the lender's $75 million stocking horse bid.
3: In the First Day team's review of last year's bankruptcy filings, uh, you also zoomed in on the transportation industry, which had a particularly hard time grappling with the pandemic economy. What were the main developments there?
4: The big airlines seemed to all come in at once, um, with Avianca, LATAM, and Grupo Mexico all filing in May and June, each a free fall filing with more than 1 billion in liabilities. In total, seven airlines filed Chapter 11 in 2020. During the same stretch as the $3 billion airline filings, both of the year's big rental car filings, Hertz, and Advantage filed within five days of one another. The impact on transportation um, trickled down into ancillary industries, reaching companies like Global Eagle Entertainment, which is an in-flight entertainment services provider for the airline and cruise markets. Um, They pinned their bankruptcy filing on the COVID-19 pandemic and its debilitating impact on the airline, cruise, and travel industries. Numerous hotels were also hurt by the pandemic's impact on travel. Auto parts manufacturer Shiloh Industries also cited the pandemic's impact on travel demand and the need for new automobiles as one of the contributing factors to its decision to file for bankruptcy. And a Las Vegas-based commercial linen services business, Apex Linen, was another one indirectly hurt by the pandemic and its impact on travel. Two months after Apex filing in July, the company that owns and operates the Las Vegas Monorail system also filed Chapter 11.
3: Let's move to another industry that you analyze in your annual review, restaurants. Sure, restaurant filings were huge this year, including many
5: restaurant chains which which had troubles like other retail chains in the pandemic environment. Through the first half of the year, there were more restaurant chain filings than in any other year on first day record.
3: And what reasons did these companies cite for the bankruptcies? Are we looking at headwinds in the restaurant industry more broadly or more specific troubles? The restaurants largely filed because of the shutdown
5: orders and effects of the pandemic, but there were some restaurants that filed before the pandemic in early 2020, like BL Restaurants, the owner of the Bar Louie brand, which pointed to the usual casual dining industry headwinds of competition, labor cost increases, and the growth in third-party delivery. Kraftwerk sort of fell in the middle, having filed just before the pandemic took hold, seeking to restructure, but ultimately dismissing the case after selling all of its assets to its senior lender, Fortress. Many of the post-pandemic filers also noted those headwinds, including Ruby Tuesday, which said that the health crisis only exacerbated its problems in an increasingly competitive and challenging business environment.
3: Did you notice these restaurants changing their tactics after the pandemic began?
5: Yeah, some of them pivoted to takeout and delivery, seeing an opportunity to recoup some sales. Ruby Tuesday took advantage of this switch in consumer preferences to reduce sales down to just 30% after they were down 80% just by being more aggressive with delivery and takeout. NPC, which is a large fram for Wendy's and Pizza Hut restaurants said that it expected 2020 EBITDA improve at the Pizza Hut locations but deteriorate at Wendy's. These trends also affected tableware manufacturer Libby. Libby blamed the increasing popularity of takeout and delivery as compared to in-restaurant dining as one of the reasons for its bankruptcy filing.
3: The annual review story also discusses chapter 11's commenced by healthcare care companies uh, which have slowed down. Is that right?
4: That's correct. Shortly after the pandemic spread, healthcare filings started to slow down, maybe partly due to government direct aid. The three prior years had significant increases in healthcare bankruptcies, particularly in 2019. There was only one healthcare filing in April, 3 in May, and then 4 in June. That's compared to an average of about 5 and 6 per month in the year prior. Even though there were less cases, the ones that did file had a lot of debt exceeding the 2019 filings debt level by billions of dollars. This was due to large billion-dollar bankruptcy filings from Mellenclaw, Acorn, Quorum Health, and Quorum Health. 2019 had no billion-dollar healthcare bankruptcies.
3: And what types of healthcare companies filed in 2020?
4: The one type of company that had an increase in filings was healthcare equipment and supplies. One of these Endologics, which makes medical devices for the treatment of aortic disorders, noted that the pandemic had a big impact because of the drop in elective surgeries. The company also said that manufacturing capabilities, along with, some, with distribution and warehouse operations, were affected by the shelter-in-place restrictions. Some other companies in this category, though, filed for the unusual reasons of being in the development or, or commercial stage of growth, and have yet to make a profit.
3: Another topic that you delved into, Jessica, in the report was prepackaged cases. What did you find was the frequency of these prepack cases, and where did most of them file?
5: Pre-packaged and pre-negotiated filings have been on the rise in recent years, especially for cases involving over $1 billion in liabilities, of which 74% were pre-packaged or pre-negotiated. And this is up from 70% in 2019, 64% in 2018, and 55% in 2017. Energy and consumer discretionary had the highest ratios of pre-packaged cases to free falls, while the year's airline cases were largely filed as free fall cases.
3: The First State database and Reorg's new DIP database also tracks DIP financing trends. So how did 2020s dip financing stack up.
4: 158 of 2020s 477 Chapter 11 filers submitted dip requests ahead of their first day hearings. Consumer discretionary accounted for 7 billion of total dip commitments per sector. Energy made up just over 9 billion, and the industrial sector, largely largely attributable to the airline filings, amounted to roughly 7.6 billion. All other sectors combined represented 3.5 billion. The consumer discretionary sector took the lion's share with respect to dips involving interest rates above 10% with 17 overall. The next closest sector was energy with 8. Dips requested later in the pandemic saw a greater portion of their total requested dip commitments on an interim basis by approximately 60% from the January to mid-May period to the mid-May period to September period. Roll-up commitments also increased relative to final commitments in the latter period. In
3: our previous quarterly 2020 podcasts, uh, you mentioned, Jessica, that there were several filings by nonprofits, including Boy Scouts of America. So did that trend continue into the end of the year? It definitely did, Karen. There were
5: a total of 10 of these cases by the year end, six of which were Catholic diocese filings, the latest of which was the Diocese of Camden, New Jersey, which filed at the start of Q4. The trend has continued so far into 2021 with the Chapter 11 filing of the NRA on January 15th.
3: Well, thank you so much, Jessica and Ian, for joining us today to talk about the Chapter 11 cases that you saw in 2020, a historic year. The First Day Team's 2020 Year in Review story was released this week, and we really encourage subscribers to check it out. It describes all of the stats and trends that Jessica and Ian discussed today and more. The report also features some beautiful graphs and images summarizing that data, really putting it all in perspective. Thanks again.
1: And thank you again for listening to this Reorg Weekly Review. Find all our podcasts on the reorg.com media page, as well as Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Hope your families are healthy and safe. See you next Sunday.